but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to the Body Serve podcast. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. We are reporting this week at the Western Southern Open in Cincinnati, Ohio. We are currently experiencing the first major rain delay, so we're taking advantage of that time to record a spot. We're happy to bring you this episode on the back of our Pride special a couple months ago, where we gave you a partial history of LGBT folks in tennis. This episode we're going to talk about a tweet that you may have seen on our body server account the last couple days where we got the chance to ask Roger Federer why he thought there haven't been any openly gay tennis players on the ATP. The reason this all came about and why we wanted to pursue this at this tournament, a couple weeks ago Nick McCarville tweeted about an upcoming event in New York City called Open Playbook, Being Queer and Out in Pro Tennis. And it's going to feature Brian Bahali, who is now openly gay. He was a former pro tennis player, top 70. And it's about starting the dialogue about being out and proud in tennis, right? It's something that hasn't happened on the ATP tour yet. We've had lots of out lesbians on the WTA tour. In fact, the tour itself was founded by Mm -hmm. some of the most prominent lesbian athletes in all of sport history. In, in the 1970s, we even had an out trans woman play at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. as you know, Renee Richards. This has been lacking on the ATP side, and it's something that the organizers of this event, Nick, no challenges remaining, they want to talk about and bring out into the open, start the conversation. And Kevin Anderson was very helpful in pushing that conversation into the mainstream in the tennis world. Not even just pushing the conversation, but getting it started. Because that's something that we've come to realize. That as much as we may think some of the discussion that's being, that's happening right now is elementary, it's needed. Because we're coming from ground zero. There's nothing that's been going on. So Kevin Anderson quote tweeted Nick McCarville. And what did he say? He said, words that come to mind when I think about people who are out. Courageous, strong, progressive, fearless, and leaders. Very proud of my friend Nick for embodying these attributes. And I hope you will support his cause if you are in New York on August 23rd. Followed by a rainbow and a pound emoji. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, very clear, cannot be misinterpreted statement in support of LGBT athletes, fans, the community in general. Which is not exactly common to hear among ATP players. I think a lot of folks when they saw that tweet they were taken aback because we absolutely never hear these kinds of words from male tennis players. Like if, if somebody's asked about it, perhaps, but this was voluntary, mm-hmm. right? Kevin Anderson did not have to do this. He's a, a two-time slam finalist, top 10 player. He's in the, at the apex of his career right now. This is his highest profile he's ever had, and he's using his platform for good to uplift LGBT folks from his ATP platform in ways it's never been done before. Right, because I don't think that... Any player, Kevin included, stands to gain much, especially not financially, by, by making statements like this. 
this is kind of in keeping with his just very nice guy persona. So when we got to Cincinnati, we were discussing what are some of the things that we want to do while we're here. And after having done the Pride special, that, that partial history of LGBT folks in tennis, we understood that there was a, a huge vacuum and a discrepancy between the WTN and ATP in terms of its queering histories. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about Bill Tilden, but he was not out at the time. If he was, it was a glass closet, but it was also a totally different time. The sport wasn't professional back then in the way it is now. The ATP wasn't around back then. And while we documented the host of WTA players who've since been out and active on the WTA tour and who we know about post-retirement or whatever, we haven't even had ATP players who've come out after retirement until really Brian Vahali, which is, it's shocking in this day and age, truly, with so many other sports, so many other team sports that are thought to be more dominated by toxic masculinity that would be less of a safe environment for an openly gay player they've they've dealt with this we've seen examples of how this has happened in other male sports right? but tennis in spite of having a large gay following having a large gay history an expansive gay history the atp is for whatever reason a sporting organization and a tour where this has not happened. And so this is something that we want to, to explore a little bit and find out why. So on this episode, we are going to bring you that audio from both Roger Federer and Kevin Anderson fielding these questions in press this week at Cincinnati. We will also be featuring our interview with Nick McCarvel. He gives a lot of great information about this event, but we also just kind of have a discussion about where we're at in tennis as far as openness about LGBT players whether the sport is welcoming, what are the barriers for players to come out. And uh, I think it was just a great discussion, and we appreciate having Nick on the show. So here's the audio of me asking Roger Federer why there haven't been any openly gay players on the ATP tour, and if the ATP is a receptive and safe space, should one choose to do so. Roger, there's an event coming up in New York City featuring Brian Vahali, who is a now-out gay former pro ATP player, and uh, Kevin Anderson tweeted in support of it, also had some very kind words to say uh, for some of the gay people that he knows in his life. Um, I'm wondering if you have a sense of why we haven't had an openly gay tennis player on the ATP tour, and oh, okay. if there's um, anything you can say as to whether the ATP would be a safe and receptive place for a player to come out. Yeah, I think no problem at all. It's, yeah, it is true, yeah, we have not had it. Uh, don't know why, you know, um, if we haven't had any or some players just uh, chose not to do it, you know, I think it'd be totally accepted, no problem, you know. And I don't know, what tournament are they? It's, it's just a, an event celebrating okay. like uh, culture and tennis and okay. diversity. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm all for it. It's a, it's a good thing, you know, I, I'm all for it, you know, that everybody, uh, you know, doesn't matter where you come from, what you who you are. I'm I'm all for it that you're open about it. That I think you'll feel better in the process, to be honest. And everybody should support one another on this planet. You know, it's all good. Now we've got a lot of response on Twitter from this tweet. We posted the text of the question and answer on Twitter, uh, and as you said, it did it kicked off a lot of response, a lot of discussion. I would say the majority of it was very positive, 
in praise of Roger for really even being willing to to answer the question thoughtfully because it's a uh, it's uncommon especially among the top tiers of men's tennis and then there's some who say that it wasn't thoughtful at all that it was very generic that it was too politically correct that he didn't even use the word gay in his response there was a lot of it and so we have two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the, the intense praise for him and then folks who were very disappointed. Uh, and I think there was a lot in the middle, uh, acknowledging his willingness to engage, but also asking, you know, could he have made a stronger statement? There are considerations about why players don't come out that maybe Roger is just not currently engaging with because it's not something that he has to. Mm-hmm. So I think there was... There was a lot of germane discussion going on around this tweet, which we appreciate. But I think maybe we should set the scene a little bit just to provide some context to how the question was asked and in in what situation. One of the the critiques of Roger's response was that he sounded uncomfortable. That response was coming from just reading the text. So I hope that having listened to the audio, you're able to make a more fully formed opinion if, that, if you were so inclined to think that. What I will say, and I absolutely want to defend Roger here, is that this question came totally out of the blue. And this was my first Roger Federer all-access hour. In case you're not familiar, the, the tours at these big events, they provide access to the top seeds on both tours. In this case, it's a joint event, so we get both the top eight seeds of the men and the women. They come in, they sit at a round table, and then you fire away questions at them for around 10 to 15 minutes, and then another player comes in, right? And so for a lot of folks, they don't often get a chance to ask Roger Federer a question. For a lot of folks, it's about finding out where he is health-wise. He didn't play in Toronto. They want to know what's the state of his game now, what are his plans going forward, stuff that's very much X's and O's tennis-related. And then on top of that, there's no real format in terms of who is being called upon. Mm-hmm. And so what what you have is Roger sitting there and then people shouting questions and then one eventually gets through. Somebody eventually breaks through that initial scrum to be able to ask Roger the question. And I had failed three or four times before I finally, you, you heard at the start of that question that there were a lot of people trying to ask a question, a lot of people saying Roger, and then eventually I guess I was loud enough to be able to get it there. And so after being asked just before about Mirka, you know, having to talk about Mirka and stuff to do with his family life, here I am asking this question that he's probably never been asked before, that he wasn't expecting, that he likely has not given much thought because a lot of times these press conferences and these these Alexis hours aren't political. A lot of folks make it a a cause to keep sports separate from politics or vice versa. And one of the the main tenets of this podcast is that we believe that they cannot be separated. And that we live in the same world that these athletes live in, and we we all face struggle. And, uh, I mean, sport to me is just not interesting without all of the extra context floating around it, mm-hmm. right? So this critique of Rogers having been uncomfortable, I rebuke it to an extent because he absolutely was caught off guard. And I think he pivoted well. The What do you make of the critique that he was way too generic and too politically mm-hmm. correct. Um, I mean, if you if you know Roger Federer, this is not surprising. His personality is very measured. 
he rarely takes stands that are going to really ruffle a lot of feathers. He's not a mean-spirited guy, but, you know, Roger is Roger. He's a brand. He's, he's important to a lot of people. He is, I mean, he is like the supreme, you know, to some people, god of the sport. He's going to keep being Roger. I wasn't expecting anything revolutionary, but I was pleasantly surprised at how he responded, how he took a beat, and really genuinely tried to answer the question well. Mm-hmm. Even though, to be fair, he was completely caught off guard. Yeah, and without the language or a grasp of the language that we would want to hear. Right. And we have said this many, many times that, I mean, I mean Roger Federer is uh, a master of several languages, mm-hmm. but in our own native language, we struggle sometimes for the right words to talk about these issues. And also uh, in this culture, the way it's talked about might be totally different from another. Right. You know, I hear the responses. I was happy to see them. But uh, I think all things considered, he handled it quite well. Yeah, and the main goal here was having had this not really talked about by top players before, the goal here was to get him on record. And I expected him to answer it well. And I think he answered it well and positively. And the net effect of having Roger Federer, the player that most folks consider the greatest of all time, who is still active, still at the top of the game, who is the elder statesman of men's tennis to offer words of support and encouragement for gay people, not just gay tennis players, but gay people in general. That's something that's now part of the record. That if somebody were to come and say, well, I think that that's that's terrible and we're not having that. Well, Roger Federer said this, (laughs) and that's important, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't think it's utile for us to parse his words to the extent where we're like, well, we wanted it perfect, we wanted it this way, we wanted him to to paint it every color of the rainbow to our liking. There's still a lot of good that can come from this. Now, Kevin Anderson, on the other hand, was a little bit more ready for the question because he, as we said, has opened up the conversation on his own. Here's Kevin's audio. A few weeks ago, you uh, tweeted something in support of LGBT athletes with relation to that event with Brian Vahaley, uh hosted by Nick McCarville. Yep. It's not altogether common to hear ATP players say things about that. Um, what kind of compelled you to speak up? Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it's actually um, actually that's really close you know close to me. I'm you know, as I've said, I I'm a huge supporter of that. Um, you know, I've uh, my cousin actually just got married you know to his partner. Um, just last year, so it's you know touches very close to home, you know for me. Um, yeah, just you know the way I view it is just you know just from a human rights standpoint, I feel you know very strong on that front. So you know seeing that event, I mean I thought it was you know fantastic. I mean just speaking to some you know people you know as my cousin, I understand the challenges um, you know in today's world, especially uh, in sports as well. Uh, you know you've seen you know more people you know feeling comfortable with it over the last few years, but you know that you still know just given the the stats that people run and how many athletes there are there's still you know a lot who don't feel comfortable so i think that's uh, you know they shouldn't um would like to create an atmosphere where people don't feel that way um so that's why you know i thought it was such a great you know uh, event to be part of could you get a sense that the atp as it is now maybe from talking to other players or just from observing that it's a place that's a safe space for an athlete should they choose to come out um, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, 
it's not something that's been spoken about too much, to be honest with you, um, because there's not been you know many examples of it. I think, um, you know, if I do think back in my own mind the sort of conversations just in the locker room and stuff. It's it's not really something that's come up to you know to be honest with you. I mean, I would really hope so. I mean, it's speaking to guys. I mean, you know, especially today, I think, uh, you know, at least a lot of the players that you know. I'm, chatting to more often obviously you can't spend a lot of time with everybody I mean the people who I do I think would all be very you know supportive of you know of that so uh, you know, I'd certainly like you know I'd like to think so and if I can think of the people who I know well enough to sort of answer that question for you know, you know I would certainly say yes listening to Kevin speak about his own personal experience and his family really reminds me that when you know somebody when, when it happens in your own family somebody you really care about you just is said it. It. You know? Like, it's it's so <laughs> right. easy to right. say something that can be taken in a derogatory mm-hmm. way. But when you know somebody who is gay or trans or queer, things can really change for you. And, you know, for a lot of folks who've never had to consider the life of a queer person and what that entails and may have had negative attitudes toward queer people before, that's often the pathway that allows them to open up a new worldview, right? To let gay people into their lives. And I'm not saying that that's the way that it happened for Kevin, but that's the way he presented it to us in that in that audio that you just heard. And the net effect of that is that we now have somebody who is an ally. Kevin Anderson is an ally, helping us start and hopefully push the conversation forward. Now, something that Roger didn't answer, and I don't think Kevin answered it either, was the question of, why we haven't had an openly gay ATP player before. What are some of the reasons why you think that that is the case? I think, to be fair, they're not well-positioned to answer that question. Especially if you haven't really thought about it. Absolutely, because it's tough even for us who have thought about it quite a bit. Um, Nick McCarville, you'll hear later in this episode, mentions tennis being an individual sport can possibly act as a barrier. In team sports, as we've seen, sometimes an out player can have the support of a, of a community, of a team of people. In tennis, you're on your own, you have a small team, players who aren't highly ranked may have a coach, and that's it. You know, it, it can be a very lonely existence, and you just maybe don't know if you're going to be supported, if it's something that hasn't been talked about, if you are kind of the trailblazer, it takes a lot of courage. The other thing is that we have seen some instances of very high-profile homophobia in in just the past few years. When Western society has become more open and accepting, a few, a very few players have hit back, but loudly, right? And that's like Sergei Stokowski is kind of the number one example. Somebody who has served on the ATP council. So you wonder if... Stakovsky is one of the only people speaking up in such an ugly way. Are there other people who believe it? Or if they don't believe it, they are not too perturbed by someone believing that. We also have, of course, Margaret Court. And she can be kind of the favorite punching bag for a lot of people in the tennis media sphere. But she has gone out of her way to denigrate Casey Delacqua's family. Yeah. As as unholy or, or something not worthy. We also know that when you are the first to do something, 
if somebody were to come out as being gay on the ATP tour tomorrow, say it's a top 100 player, it's something that you will be asked about and having to deal with outside of just focusing on your tennis Mm -hmm. for a very long time. It will be your story. It will. And there's a burden that comes with that. There are folks who cover the tennis beat on a week-to-week basis, and that story may be written for them this week. But then in the subsequent weeks, there's a whole set of different people coming in to cover the tennis. And that that question will never go away. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to those of you who are queer and listening to the podcast and who have come out, even when you feel and you know that the world outside the closet is going to be very supportive, it's still a harrowing experience for even the most supportive of environments. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of unknown and a lot of fear that comes with that, let alone when you tie that to your professional livelihood, to a sport and and a profession where one injury can change everything. And then what are you then reliant on? You are just... Are you just the gay tennis player? Exactly. But what I want to talk about, though, is some of the structural barriers within the ATP itself. I mean, I just mentioned some personal barriers. Right. But what are the, the ATP tour barriers that we perceive to be at play here as well? I, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Is the ATP ready? Like, is it prepared if someone were to come out? Is there kind of a media plan in place? Because I'm sure, I'm sure they have contingency plans for all manner of things. Crises, is there, right? Yeah, is there an organizational plan, a logistical mm-hmm. plan to then have support for a player if they were to go to Dubai? as an openly gay gay player or other countries where being out is not something that is dealt with favorably. Uh Not just to say it's, it's queer unfriendly, but dangerous even for gay people. Or unlawful. Yes. I think the ATP, like any international sports organization has so much to think about. They have to think about the ways in which other cultures uh, think about sexual orientation because it could be quite different than the way we do in the Mm -hmm. West or the global North, so to speak. If we think of identity the same way, you know, how do we understand and approach cultures who don't take an accepting view of LGBT people or who don't believe that that really exists or that it's not an identity at all, that it's a behavior? That it's not something that should be celebrated. Right. Or even deem it as something to celebrate in the first place. You know, uh, like indifference sure. could be that a it's barrier not even as a well. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's, I think in sports in general, not to blame the ATP, there's just a lot of like, shut up and play. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, you know, we've gotten a little of like, why are you even talking about this? Like, why would you even yeah. ask Roger Federer that question? What is and the impetus to even do this at this point? Everything is fine. Right. Like, be- we're not, we don't have somebody trying to come out. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea here is to create that safe space for when somebody wants to and is ready to take on all that's going to come with it. Because it's going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that there are well-meaning and good people who work within the ATP, who run the ATP, that there are ATP players who haven't spoken about this and don't want to speak about, don't want to speak about it. But in their private lives, they're supportive as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of good people who allow something like this to to fester and build over decades with good intentions, but no action. Right. And so what I'm hoping for with this event being hosted by Nick McCarville 
and sponsored by NCR featuring Brian Vahali. What I hope that's going to happen with Kevin now being an ally, what I hope for having Roger Federer's words on record is that there's been a conversation started. And I, you'll hear Nick talk about that, that that's one of the goals of this event, you know, to get the conversation started. And eventually we'll be able to push through to the more micro details that will have to be dealt with eventually. So I think that is a good place to bring in our discussion with Nick McCarville, who you may know as an on-court announcer. He's written for USA Today. He covers figure skating as well. He's covered sports for the Olympics, figure skating for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. He's everywhere. He does everything well. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a delight to talk to. And thank you, Nick, for putting this event together. So we're here with Nick McCarville, uh, tennis writer, host, presenter, and the on-quarter announcer this year at Cincy Tennis. Congrats. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for coming on. We wanted to talk about this event you're going to be hosting in New York City uh, at the Housing Works Bookstore. Tell us a little about it and uh, how it came about. Yeah, so it's uh, next Thursday, August 23rd, at Housing Works, as you mentioned, which is a great bookstore that's part of a AIDS nonprofit in New York City. I actually had my first, very first job in New York City at that bookstore. I was an assistant manager. Um, oh, so cool. it's full, yeah, it's full circle for me. Um, and they do incredible events year round. They have a monthly moth podcast recording there, which is really cool. It sells out every month. And so I partner with them in May. And um, we started to kind of pull together this event, which I've been thinking about doing for a long time, which is basically just a public conversation about the queer community and the tennis community, because I'm queer and I'm also tennis in a way, because that's my job. It's my life. We and three queers. Right yes. Now on the podcast. <laughs> we three queens. <laughs> um, and I, you know, there have been a lot of emails and conversations and, and back chatter about who could be a part of it. But um, Brian Bahaley, who is a former top 70 player, um, a great college player also at the University of Virginia, he came out last year on John Wertheim's podcast for Sports Mm -hmm. Illustrated, and he has been absolutely wonderful in accepting our invitation to be a part of the night. Um, And we're really hoping to include some other out players as well. That's still TBA, um, so watch this space. But um, it's basically going to be a night of conversation about queer culture in tennis, about why Brian wasn't out when he was a player, about why he chose to come out last year, almost 10 years after retiring from pro tennis. And, you know, a lot of the conversation when I'm in Hell's Kitchen or Fire Island or WeHo or wherever we gays tend to go when we're not on tour (laughs) is, oh, you work in tennis, who's gay? (laughs) And, uh, you know, the answer right now is that there's no out gay male players right now on the pro circuit. And there's a reason for that. I think there's a, a lot of fear and I think that there's a lot of hesitation to be who you are and to be out loud about it. And I know that both of you spend some time on tour. I spend a lot of my time on tour. And the the tennis community is incredible. It has obviously supported so many out lesbians who have been out during their pro career and after it. But this is a chance to move the conversation forward. And we, we have seen in the last 10 days, and you guys have been a part of that, that once the conversation has started publicly, it can only go forward. And so that's really the crux of this event, Brian getting to share his story, us moving the conversation forward. And honestly, it's not about outing or asking someone to come out. That's not the purpose of the night. The purpose of the night is that it's 2018 and let's talk about things because we're in a culture where we continue to not want to talk about things or we continue to be nervous to talk about Mm. things. So here's a chance to, 
Brian's been gracious. We're also going to have tennis tennis drag queens that I'm so excited <laughs> to be a part of the night. A couple of friends, uh, David Thorpe, who's the producer and star of Do I Sound Gay, the documentary. Yes. He will be there. And we have tennis trivia. We have giveaways. Um, we also have a couple really special testimonials on video of people who can't be there, who want to lend their support. Um, and I think that we're going to have a lot of great people. I've heard from the USTA. I've heard from the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. I've heard from Athlete Ally. I've heard from a lot of people who want to be a part of this night. And we are hoping that it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> part of what got our involvement in this whole thing going was Kevin Anderson tweeting about the event and also having some great things to say about you and also gay people in his life, which was shocking for us and a lot of folks because we absolutely do not see any ATP players speaking at all or even acknowledging that gay people exist. Yeah, and here's the opportunity to forward this conversation, yeah. right? I was so humbled by what Kevin uh, tweeted and shared about me, which was, um, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't mean to put the spotlight on me yeah. whatsoever, but here is a two-time major finalist, Wimbledon runner-up currently, a top 10 player in the world, speaking out about an issue that we have dear to our hearts and that he obviously has feelings about. And then he, as you guys followed up this week, asking him yourselves mm -hmm. about it here in Cincinnati, he talked about his cousin who's out and gay and married his partner recently. And I think that there's probably more stories like that in pro tennis, but it just wasn't asked. Yeah. It just wasn't, you know, and, and I reached out to a few a few key people, um, including the team around Kevin Anderson, asking them, you know, would you lend your support to this? And um, Kevin went above and beyond, and that tweet got over a thousand likes. And I think that those are just the little things that this event has helped produce, and I hope over the next 10 days as the event gets closer and then thereafter that's also why we're doing it on the eve of the 50th u.s open in the open eras that we have the chance to say okay gosh billy jean martina amelie like they've done you know and the list goes on and on trust me but they've done so much and let's let's not let's not fall asleep let's continue to move this conversation forward so tennis has such a great community of support among LGBTQ people. You see it at every tournament I'm sure you go to. Um, what do you think are, are some of the barriers to getting people talking about gay men in tennis? And what are the barriers for coming out? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there's, it's worlds that coincide, right? They, they don't necessarily cross over that much. I mean, everywhere we go, whether it's Melbourne, Paris, Indian Wells, New York, London, Rome, I mean, there's gay fans of tennis everywhere. And right. I think a lot of young gay boys are attracted to women's tennis because mm -hmm. it's appealing to us. That's and how I, we got started. Yeah, yeah same. Right. I mean, I literally used to print out every Monica Seles match report in the 90s. <laughs> um, that's how I, you know, sort of first got into the sport, too. Um, but, you know, it's a it's a really good question. And I think that for the guys on tour, I can't really speak to that. I'm not a professional tennis player. I obviously work as um, a host and a presenter on tour. But um, I think in a lot of ways that tennis has a far way to go because of this is an individual sport and you don't necessarily have the support of a team. And, you know, even when you guys asked Roger Federer about the issue, he 
didn't struggle in answering the question, mm -hmm. but he struggled in finding the words because you can tell it's not a common conversation. Yeah. And, and is it a common conversation in, in any pro sport? Not necessarily, but we've seen barriers be broken by Robbie Rogers and by Michael Sam and by mm -hmm. Jason Collins and so many out queer athletes who have, and you know, now in the WNBA, it's not even, you know, a lot of those women just get to live their lives. I think they're sort of the goal for a lot of us is, is to not have to think twice about it. But yeah, I think, you know, for the queer community, because we love tennis so much, and then we also identify with these men who are, are playing pro tennis, it's two different conversations almost on the same track. But um, again, this is my hope that it just kind of helps continue and walk down that road. And who knows, there, there are there are gay tennis players, of course. There are gay men who play on the professional tennis tour. I'm not saying I know who any of them are, but would it be powerful to see a tweet from Kevin Anderson? Yeah. Would it be powerful to see the words of Roger Federer? I think so. So, about this event, how can people get involved if they don't live in New York? Yeah, so the event again is August 23rd, 7.30 p.m. We are going to be Facebook live streaming, all technological fingers crossed, on the No Challenges Remaining Facebook page. Uh, ben and Courtney have been super supportive of the event. We're really excited that we've partnered with them. So it will be live on Facebook, um, hopefully with the Wi-Fi, depending. Um, and then Ben and Courtney will do some sort of edited episode um, of the podcast thereafter in the few days after the podcast. Um, listen, if, if you want to donate to the cause, it's benefiting not only Housing Works, but the NYJTL, which was uh, help, it was founded in part by Arthur Ashe, and they do so much great work with kids in the New York and New Jersey area um, who are underprivileged. A lot of them, I'm sure, are queer themselves and don't know it yet, um, but have a passion and love for tennis like we do. So part of the proceeds will go to the NYJTL and Housing Works, and you can go to housingworks.org slash events, and there is a donate button. So tickets are only 10 bucks. It's two for 15 before the night of. And I actually encourage people, if you do want to donate to the cause um, and you, you can't come, don't buy tickets because that'll inflate our numbers. Just donate. Um, Housing Works does incredible work trying to end the dual crises of AIDS and homelessness in New York and the area and obviously the NYJTL. And then I just say, you know, do what you guys did. I mean, you're here in Cincinnati. I wasn't in the press room when you asked Roger and Kevin about this issue. So kudos to you both. And I think, you know, I'm a broken record, but the conversation continues. And, you know, reaching out to um, a lot of former pro players, some current pro players, um, uh, they're excited about this. And, and, and that said, too, there's some hesitation. Yeah. And there's some people who have told me, you know what, Nick, thanks, but no thanks. And that's fine. Everyone has, everyone has their own place and space. But um, here's a chance to take a moment and to have a conversation in the gayest city in the world, in New York City, in <laughs> Soho, downtown, where so many big queer moments have happened. And we feel like this is a great chance to shine a spotlight on that. So again, tune in if you can. NCR Facebook page, 7.30 Eastern on the 23rd. Nick, thank you yeah, for no playing worries. your part in getting this no conversation problem. started as yeah. well. We're happy to tangentially be a part of it. Like you said, it really is just about at this point, at this point getting the conversation started. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot more to do once that conversation has been started. And I've seen a lot of folks say, well, even with respect to Roger's comments, you know, like, yeah, it's great, but, you know, that doesn't take into account for this or that or that or that. 
but at the base of it, it's about getting that conversation started. I am curious, I just, I mean, you know, you guys tweeted that out and what, mm-hmm. it got hundreds of interactions. Yeah. What was the general response from? It was mostly very supportive. And of course, uh, a lot of the, the issues that came up were like, well, he could have said this, he could have gone further in his support. And I think mostly he was a little surprised by the question. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, like many of us, struggle to find the right language. But I think, as you said, this conversation is about creating conditions for people to talk about it. And discourse is so powerful in making it safe and secure, or at least a little bit more, for people to be open. Because some folks were saying he didn't use the word gay at all in his response. Uh, Some were saying, well, what about the fact that Sergei Stakovsky has served on the ATP Tour Council for all this time? Like, it's all well and good to say that you personally support something, but what are the ways structurally that the ATP hasn't? You know, because something that I've always wondered is, say we have an openly gay tennis player, what happens when they have to travel the world to a country that is not only not gay-friendly, but actually very dangerous for gay people to be out and, and loud about it if they so choose? Yeah, and I would also say, you know, for me, I grew up in a Catholic family in Montana, and I dreamed of being a pro tennis player, never even came close to being that. But um, I would say, you know, there are so many people that have faced atrocities around the world and have been persecuted for being um, out and gay and who they are. And um, I I've hesitated at times to do this and to, to walk forward and say, okay, let's try and have this conversation. And it's been a good personal challenge. It's been a great pro- professional challenge. And um, I really hope and think that we're gonna have some good things come out of it. Already good things have yep. come out of it. And we're also gonna have a lot of fun on Thursday nights, including some Martini Navratilova, so <laughs> our special drink, as well as the jelly bean the jelly bean king. Oh my god. <laughs> These great details are just slipping out like one there's by a, one. There's a lot of, uh, when we were planning it at Housing Works, the event coordinator was like, because there are a lot of moving pieces, including the drag queens did a Queens on the Street video that will debut at the night asking people in New York City about their favorite tennis queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hope to put all that online too. You're saying you don't have a Ginny Bouchard? <laughs> I love that. Also, oh, one of no. my friends said the Merez um, Mojito, which oh, I'm, yes. okay. I'm really sad. The, the drink menu has already been up, made up, but that means we have to do another iteration of the event yeah. down the road, at least even just for the drinks. Nick, thank you so much Cheers. for coming on the no show. No worries. Thanks. We appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Thank you for tuning into the Body Serve. We hope that this has been a good addendum to our Pride special. We hope that you're able to help push the conversation forward in whatever way that you can in your personal lives. We hope that if you're near New York City on August 23rd, that you go to this event, that you register. If you can't go, you donate, as Nick told you how you could in that past segment. And in a, in a broader sense, If you're somebody who feels that you've been excluded from sports media, if the people who ask the questions in this profession don't look like you and don't sound like you, we want to and we're trying to build a more inclusive tennis community. And I think this is a great step in that direction. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.